folks, we don't talk about it much in our podcasts, but our Effective Manager Conference, our Effective Communications Conference, and our Effective Interviewer Conference are all available to be delivered in-house at your corporation, your firm, your organization. We have over a 1,000 clients the world over on all the continents except Antarctica who have paid us to travel to them, customize our training, and deliver more focused training uh, without the opportunity cost of individuals traveling. Uh, depending upon the size of the group, you can save some money. And again, totally tailored to your culture, your company, your people. If there's somebody in your firm that we need to talk to, let us know or have them contact us. We look forward to it. Welcome to Manager Tools. Our guidance on planning an offsite, part one. So, Danny, we're going to talk about something that you and I may have done more than any two other people on the planet that listen to <laughs> Feels us. Feels like it. <laughs> Millions of people who listen to us each month planning an offsite. And this is one of those things that, that follows the Horseman Christmas rule. It's something you do rarely, but something that you want to do well. And so usually that means it's very stressful um, and you're not very good at it. And, uh, uh, you know, managers are often responsible for planning offsites team meetings, trainings, industry conference, and so on. Sometimes uh, companies hire outside agencies to do it, but for the vast majority of companies, for the vast majority of offsites, it's done by somebody internally. Uh, it's probably a plum given by a director or a VP. Hey, why don't you set this up? And then the manager goes, sure, thanks for the, for the vote of confidence. And then, holy Toledo, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> yeah. And this particular cast is planning a meeting that's not in your office, not on campus. And this is about how to plan it once you've made the decision that it's not going to be at your location. Okay. So what's our outline? What are the, what are the high level steps that somebody needs to go through? Right. So we've broken the process down into six steps um, and they are pretty high level because several of them have subset subs steps. oh sub steps yes <laughs> is that a word uh so first we're going to choose the city we're we're going to talk about how you go around how you go about deciding what location you're going to have it if it's going to be in the location where your office is or not then we're going to talk about writing your rfp which is an acronym for request Which for proposal. You just blew half a million people's minds. They just <laughs> what? What's an RFP? What's that? What's yeah, an RFP? Yeah. Once you have the RFP uh, ready to go, we're going to talk about how to identify potential ho hotels and the process for submitting your RFP. Because believe it or not, there's a way, a more effective way to do that than you might think. Once you've re received the proposals back from the hotel, we're going to talk about how you go through those proposals and choose your hotel. And then we're going to really get into the nitty gritty, which is how to work with the hotel. Oh. I'm guessing people probably thought that was going to be the first step, right? Like, right. how do I work with the hotel? But it's actually step number five. Uh, and there's a lot of detail there. And then we're going to wrap up with what to do after the meeting. Because once the meeting is over, you still have some activities around closing out the meeting with the hotel to make sure that process is handled correctly. I was just doing the math in my head. How many offsites have you and I? separately planned how many how many events have we contracted with a hotel somewhere else to do i mean if you think about manager tools this year if you think about all of our presentations we're probably about two to three hundred yes think. yes um so let's assume that for roughly 
five years and you know we didn't start doing a lot of the public stuff for a while you did them in your previous role what do you figure the number is i've got to say uh gosh total totally. for both of us oh yeah. my gosh more than a thousand probably yeah, 1500 1, right yeah yeah and after a while you could get at it <laughs> and, it, and yet it's still frustrating, right? Yeah. So don't make the mistakes we made learning on your own. Uh, that this is why manager tools exist, right? Don't make the mistake that that um, Mike and Mark made years ago because nobody taught us this stuff. Don't go through the pain and suffering that Danny and I went through in all the Lots years planning pain. things at hotels and having hotels say, "Oh, I'm sorry, we didn't. You know, we we will have to put somebody somewhere else." I'm sorry. We'll actually have to move your whole meeting somewhere yes. else. <laughs> yes, that happens. Gee, we have a contract. Well, you know. Okay. First rule, choose the city. Right. Sometimes it makes sense to hold your meeting in a different location, different city than where you are or where your office is or where the headquarters uh, is located. And, and here, can, can I interrupt? I'm going to be doing a lot of interrupting here. Yeah. 25 years ago, folks. Um, we're recording this in 2015. 25 years ago, depending upon um, the industry you're in and whether or not it was reward and so on, this is a pretty simple thing. If it was an offsite that wasn't about rewarding someone and it wasn't an industry conference, I think, Danny, is it safe to say this guidance is going to be for an internal company meeting for the most part? For the most part, yes. Yeah, simply because... If I'm at General Electric, the chance that I'm planning an industry meeting is pretty low. It's much lower than if I were planning a GE meeting that's an offsite. Certainly, you could still use this guidance, guys, if you're doing an industry meeting. Although, generally speaking, when you use it, when you do an industry meeting, it's much more likely that you're going to have a third-party vendor involved right. uh, that does marketing, meeting planners, and so on. Right. Okay. 25 years ago, there were a lot less distributed teams, virtual teams, remote teams. And so offsites typically included a team that, let's say, was in Seattle, and they would go offsite in Seattle. And so then there weren't hotels, there weren't uh, airfares, and so on. Um, the biggest change in offsites has been that because remote teams have become more prevalent, there are more offsites that require more people flying. Right. Um, and so. When we say sometimes it makes you, makes sense to hold your meeting in a different city, some of you who have remote teams go, well, that's true because there is no city that is the opposite of the other city. So for those of you with remote teams, yeah, certainly you could you could choose to have it at a hotel where one of your people is. Uh, that's certainly fine, but that would still qualify as having to plan an offsite because it would be an offsite for everybody else. For example, at Manager Tools, none of us is in the same city. Right. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. we're we're anytime we do an offsite where we're all getting together, it involves most of us getting on a plane. Right. <laughs> so. And hotels. And hotels. And you know, we're talking less than ten people, so it doesn't require an RFP. But we're going to give you the full full Monty here, folks, and you can pick and choose as you, depending upon the size of your team and the size of your company and so on. Right. So if you're if you're planning, for example, a team meeting. Uh, you're the manager and the majority of your team, let's say, is in Atlanta and you're in Dallas, it's probably going to make more sense for you to get on a plane and travel to them to reduce the number of people who are, in fact, traveling. Right. Um, so uh, we have three things that you're going to consider when choosing the city for your offsite. Okay. So first, does your organization have an approved list of cities? Uh -huh. People don't know that. Right. But, but companies do. 
Right. And if you don't know, you need to ask, right? And who, who if, they so, ask? If you have a meeting department, which a lot of big organizations do, you might want to start there. Um, you could certainly ask your manager. I would ask HR. I would ask also your most senior person's admin, for example. Okay. I yeah, used sure. to ask our, our CEO's admin because she was kind of the keeper of all of that. Right. Okay, good. I would just ask anybody that I could think of. Right. <laughs> Some companies don't have a list. It's, you know, up to you or it's based on where the headquarters are, that type of thing. But some organizations, for example, might say, we don't have meetings in Las Vegas because we don't want people to think that we're all you know, getting on a plane and going to Las Vegas to have a good time for the weekend. Right. There might not necessarily be a written list. This was true uh, where I used to work, the American Cancer Society. There wasn't a written list other than we didn't do it in Las Vegas. Uh, but there were cities that were traditionally or historically used and so there was kind of an unwritten list that had developed over time. And that was primarily the, for us at the Cancer Society when I worked there, that was primarily dependent on cost. There were some locations that it was just cheaper to get into. Right. And obviously, cheapness in, in some, to some degree includes ease of airplane flights. Right. Um, good. Okay. That's important for you to know about, even if there's an unwritten list, because if your company is used to having meetings in Dallas and that's kind of the tradition or Chicago or Atlanta. And you say, Hey, we're going to go to San Francisco. You need to be prepared to explain that decision to your boss or your boss's boss. Uh, and you better have a really good reason. Like you got a great deal on a hotel. Yeah. You're going to pair it with another meeting with a big client or something like that to back right. up your decision. Now you might think, well, they all go to these places, but let's be creative and go somewhere else. But you don't know the backstory about Dallas and Chicago. You don't know that the company has a deal with United. And so therefore it's easier for everybody in Chicago. I think if you're, if you're a real neophyte doing this, consider how many airline flights it will take. You know, if somebody lives in Tallahassee, uh, they can't get to San Francisco in one flight, I don't think. Um, or even if they can, they have to go away from the primary airline that more people tend to use at your organization. And that creates another potential red flag on somebody's expense account. You know, why did you go to San Francisco? We don't have any clients there. Or why are you flying not on our normal airline? And I've seen it happen. You go to an unapproved city because it, it makes sense. And it can be fine, but have your ducks in a row. As Danny said, tell them, look, it was actually cheaper than going to Dallas because of this, this, and this. And yes, I looked at that and determined this, this, and this. And so therefore, it was a wash. And as Danny said, we already had something else going on related to it. Yeah, and I would definitely recommend briefing your boss on that beforehand. Yeah. Because you don't want the questions coming up to your boss after the fact when when expenses are being submitted and your boss not knowing yep. uh, and your boss maybe being in a meeting with her boss and being asked those questions and not knowing so cool good okay so we've kind of started to allude to this next you're going to think about the travel requirements for your attendees and if you have the budget in order to cover those those travel costs right you're going to think about how many people are going to have to travel and how they will travel are they going to be flying? Are they going to be driving? Check out ticket prices online to determine if there are significant cost differences between destination cities. You actually need to sit down and do the math. 
compare the ticket prices, do the math, and think about... You do the math. You do the math. Think about, is it actually going to be cheaper to fly than to drive? Sometimes it's cheaper to do one or the other depending on mileage reimbursement. Right. Um, and time. You know, time, time costs money too. And if it's a weekend meeting and everybody's going to be driving home you know, Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, and it's going to be dark and it's going to be winter, there are people who would say, okay, if the cost is relatively equal, we want them to fly rather than to drive uh, six hours when they're tired after a two-day meeting. And since the meeting's on a weekend, they probably will have gone out Friday or Saturday night, and they won't be 100% on Sunday night when they're driving home. And you may think these things are silly, but trust me, somebody else is thinking about these very things. Yes, your attendees, and that will impact their, their experience at the oh, meeting. Oh, yeah, exactly. So as I recall, you and I had a discussion once about a meeting you attended that was politically sensitive because of driving or flying and where could you have it and who planned it and so on. Is it your experience, Danny, that most large organizations still have corporate travel offices? Or my sense in the last 20 years, those have gone away a great deal. And there are rules, but there's not an office per se. There are rules that the that the expense people apply, but the travel office doesn't exist. I, am I wrong about that? that no, that's been my experience. Okay, okay, good. So then it's unlikely, guys, although you may be lucky, that there's a corporate travel department. But if there is a corporate travel department, call somebody there and talk to them. If you have one, make the call and say, look, I'm planning an offsite. I have some questions. Just thought I'd get some guidance about this, flying versus driving, this versus that. You know, talk to the experts if you can. Good. And it's great to reach out to those people because not only do they have that information, but again, if you make a decision to go slightly out of the norm, the fact that you have talked to them ahead of time and you've gotten their insight and you've gotten their expertise and you have a relationship with them, that might help if you get ask questions about why you made this decision over that decision. They may be yeah. more willing to kind of come to your defense or, or help you explain that. Right. right. So good. Okay. That was the lesson that I learned. I, I was pretty good at planning off sites and did not reach out to the CEO's admin who, as I said earlier, she was kind of the holder of that in the organization that I worked in because we didn't have a corporate travel person. And I just kind of went out and did my own thing and because I knew how to do it. I'd done it a bunch. Right. And uh, when there was, I can't remember exactly what the problem was, but when there was a little wrinkle, she was clearly upset that I hadn't previously reached out to her and that did not help me. So, Yeah. And those kind of people are people. Yes. If you upset them, even inadvertently, they may choose to be less willing to approve things you ask for later. Right. So if you're going to, if you decide that you're going to have people fly or you don't have a choice, right? Because of the distance, you want to look at the flight schedules because that's going to impact when people get to your meeting, when they're going to be able to arrive, which can impact your starting time and your ending time. For example, if your meeting starts at 8.30 in the morning and folks have to fly in, then they're going to need a hotel room the night before. Chances are there's not a lot of places that you can fly in and get there and be on-site ready to go by 8.30 in the morning. Uh, and so you'll need to know that and take that into consideration right. when you're planning your budget. When you're researching this flight information, you might discover, hey, everybody can get to the hotel by 11. So maybe we start at noon right. and go later instead of starting at 830 and ending at 5. 
I got to tell you something. That is something that people just don't think about. Yeah. They ha- there is an, a gigantic assumption, the unspoken assumption that nobody, oh, well, of course, we'll start first thing in the morning. We'll have breakfast together. We'll warm up. It's like, wow, the cost of that for those three hours between eight and, or four hours between eight and noon is not trivial, particularly if they're flying in Friday. Friday afternoon flights are more expensive and tighter generally. And so therefore, I hope one of the things we're going to talk about is what day of the week later, but it's been my experience actually that provided you run a really efficient offsite, I mean with tight agendas and so on, that you do it during the week. But if you can't run an efficient meeting, but starting at noon and going to maybe seven and eating dinner together and then starting the next day full on, you can get a great deal done. Absolutely. And then you might find out, hey, if we finish up by two, everybody gets out, everybody gets home that night, and then you're only paying for one night hotel Yep. Um, instead of three, possibly. All right. So you want to check return flight schedules too, um, because it's very easy to lose the money you saved from starting the afternoon because people have to stay over that night. Yeah. And since we're talking about airline travel, um, we we do have guidance about that uh, elsewhere, folks, and and our other guidance, go to the map of the universe and look for it. You know, we certainly have casts about picking your your airline seat and those kind of things. Hopefully those things are easily enough done for the majority of you. But, you know, try to avoid late afternoon flights into and out of Dallas in in the summertime because of thunderstorms. You know, if you're going to fly out of Chicago during the dead of winter, get the first flight out. Um, They have extra planes there from the night before. Don't take the last flight out of any place to any place else or the last flight into any place. because for now anyway, and I think for the foreseeable future, the airline industry is so tight on capacity. Unless you have significant status, you simply don't have control of your airline flights. So take advantage of that guidance as well. Good. All right. When you're also thinking about travel costs, you don't forget to include the ground transportation costs. This is an area that I think a lot of people don't think about. They think about the flights and hotels and that type of thing, but they don't think about how are people going to get from the airport to the location uh, back to the airport. If the, if they're staying at the hotel, but you're having the meeting somewhere else, how are people going to get from the hotel to the meeting location? All those kinds of details. Sometimes taxis are not always the most expensive option, but often they are. Um, My experience has been probably 85 to 90% of the time, they're going to be the most expensive option. Sometimes you are okay paying that because they're usually also going to be the fastest. Right. Um, shuttles from airports where you're ride sharing usually are going to cost much less per person, but it's going to take you two or three times as long to get to your destination because they're making multiple stops because you're ride sharing. Um, they might have to stop at four hotels before they get to your hotel. A lot of hotels, particularly those near airports, offer complimentary shuttles which could give you a cost saving. We're going to talk about the things to consider when choosing your hotel. And that might be one of the options that you think about that goes into your decision. Does this hotel have have shuttle service? Um, Some hotels have not just shuttle service between the airport, but in the general area too. And so they can take you out to dinner and then back to the hotel. Again, all of that stuff can really add up very quickly to your meeting costs. Most people haven't thought this through as much as 
you and I have planning these things. So is it safe to say, you, you've mentioned this several times, to consider that, think this through, and so on. It ends up being a spreadsheet to some degree, right, of all the – I mean – Oh, absolutely. If you're trying to do it in your head, guys, you're probably missing three or four things that, that may make the difference. Now, look, if you have a $10,000 budget, a $100 difference is nothing to worry about. But if there are eight factors that add in and you have to consider the flight costs for six different people, you can't keep all that in your head. You can't. Um, right. And I would also suggest Uber as an option, Unlike sometimes unlikely at airports. Um, but depending upon the situation, my experience has been that today, I, I hate to say it, and I love to say it too, that taxis have been so uncompeted against for so long, they've gotten lazy and sloppy, and Uber has them riled up quite a bit. And we, um, having ridden an Uber many times, I find it useful and cheap and fairly efficient. Um, but I think certainly considering taxi costs would be a good thing. I also think one of the things you're going to end up with is a situation where, um, and I've done this before, where you say, look, guys, I know you can take a taxi, but I know if you do take a taxi on this offsite, that will go against the offsite's expenses, whether you mean it to or not. And so we're staying at a hotel that has a shuttle. You're going to have to wait 20 to 30 minutes. I'm sorry about that. But to get this done and to have the excitement of going to an offsite and getting together face-to-face -to, -face to plan this thing we're going to do next year or to figure out our strategy because we did well this year and we've earned the right to do this offsite, we're going to have to keep costs down. Take the shuttle. Okay. Do your email while you're waiting around on the shuttle. Don't take a taxi. Okay. We're staying at this hotel. It's not the best hotel in the area, but it's good. And it has a shuttle that'll pick us up, take us to dinner. We're going to save some money. I can tip the driver 20 bucks and they'll take us nearly anywhere. Absolutely. And I, as you were saying that, so two thoughts came to my mind. Number one was I wrote this cast so long ago that Uber didn't exist. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> when I wrote this. And number two, uh, we didn't even include in this, ta uh, this cast, I didn't, communicating all of this to your attendees, which is right. probably a whole other topic, right? Because all of that needs to be communicated to people. Again, when it comes to ground transportation, ask questions in your organization because some organizations have policies. Again, where I used to work, we had a policy. You did not take a taxi. It was just policy. You didn't. Uh, <laughs> you were expected to take a shuttle. And if you took a cab, it was out of your own pocket. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you need to think about those things. Well, that reminds me of um, Scott Adams, the, the, the famous, incredibly bright creator of Dilbert, who says his favorite email he ever got was from a young professional who uh, went on a, a business trip, one of his first business trips, submitted his first expense account, and because he took on his business, his business trip, his own umbrella, which he lost, uh, he submitted an expense report for his umbrella, which I find objectionable, but nevertheless, um, <laughs> they, sent it, they sent it back and said, no, we're not going to pay for your personal umbrella. You lost it. And so several weeks later, he sent in another expense report to the expense department and said, see if you can find the umbrella this time. Oh, um, and the point of that is, right, that there are people who will say, oh, well, I want to take a taxi and I can't, you know, I can't put the taxi on there, but there's some other ways I can do it. And folks try to remember that we assume everybody who listens to Manager Tools is an ethical person and you wouldn't do that. Absolutely. Okay. What about seasonal considerations? You and I talk about that a lot, about we going do. places that price makes an enormous difference, that having a meeting at, um, at Beaver Creek in uh, Colorado 
um, in the wintertime is probably a bad choice. Right. Their demand increases the price at certain destinations, right? At certain times of the year. So that means that not only is the hotel probably going to be more, but flights into that location are going to be more. Everything's going to be more expensive. Food might be more expensive. Um, So you definitely want to think about the demand for the locations that you're going to. For example, going to somewhere in Florida during spring break is probably going to be a lot more expensive than going to Florida in July. Right. Well, look, I have the best story of this of all. A couple of years ago, my wife Rhonda and I went to see our daughter Kate in Phoenix. And because of schedules, my schedule, and Kate's schedule, and Rhonda's schedule, we went for the 4th of July. Because, of course, everybody goes to Phoenix, Phoenix on the 4th of July. July. One day, we were sitting outside. It was 119 degrees, which is, I think twice the average temperature of Pebble Beach, where I live now. And we stayed at the Phoenician Hotel, which is a very nice hotel near Camelback. I think it's Camelback. It's not Saddleback. Yeah, it's Camelback. And we had a fabulous suite. I didn't realize it was the first time I'd stayed at the Phoenician ever. Um, I'd stayed at Biltmore before when I went to Phoenix on business. And um, we stayed at the Phoenician, and we had a magnificent, expansive suite with a gorgeous balcony that overlooked all of the valley, and we could watch. We ended up watching fireworks shows there, and it was $319 a night. It should have been, in my opinion, compared to other places, it could have easily been a $2,000 a night suite. Nice. Now, you may say, oh, geez, Mark, I don't want to do an offsite in Phoenix in July. Okay, maybe not. I could do it. First of all, they have good air conditioning there. If you're going to have the meeting inside, you'll be inside, fine. Inside, right. Um, I wouldn't do it with a group from Minneapolis that might melt, but you absolutely need to consider this. We consider it when we plan all of our conferences about having people fly in and we're, where we don't want to have something because we're simply going to be priced out of it. Um, or if you're not priced out of it, the availability is going to be so hard, you may have pressure on the date. If you're going to Chicago in spring, where it starts to be really nice, people fly in. There are all kinds of festivals. There are all kinds of conferences and conventions. And what ends up happening is there's just not the space. And then suddenly your dates are in flux, and that's not good. And all of this is a bit of a Rubik's Cube, right? I mean, you could pick the date and then discover the two locations you have. There's nothing you can do. Even if you say Rochester, Minnesota, there may be a gigantic festival and there are no hotel rooms. Same thing with almost anything. Or the hotel rooms you might like are simply in a price range that are unavailable. So even your date could hypothetically change. Absolutely. Always a good idea to check uh, community calendars or city lo- uh, city calendars for things like big conferences, big conventions, particularly if you're if the location you're going to has a big convention center, because that will cause spillover into the other properties uh, in that location. And speaking of dates, look, uh, we've done it before. Uh, I've done it and I've missed it. Um, when you're planning it, whatever calendar you're using, you're, it's probably going to be an electronic calendar. Have your electronic calendar show you all of the holidays. As an example, we do public conferences on Tuesdays and Wednesdays often, sometimes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday when we do effective interviewer conferences. And we plan a Tuesday, Wednesday, 
they look good. It's convenient. We can get somebody there and then we forget that the Monday's a holiday. Yeah. Or or we do, let's say, a Thursday, Friday gig with a client. They ask for Thursday, Friday, and we're, we look at that Thursday and Friday and I'm available or Dana's available to go. And then we don't realize that they didn't think about it and we didn't think about it. And the Monday is a long weekend holiday. And you're simply going to have people say they can go to the Friday session at the client and then not go. Or, hey, I'm really sorry. I've got to get out of here for a three-hour telecon at 3 o'clock this afternoon or 2 o'clock or 1 o'clock. Yeah, sure. Okay. Whatever. Um, or people just don't show up and take the pain of it. And basically, their training budget, which gets hit for the $1,000 that the company is internally charging them for the training, pays for them to go on vacation a day early. So consider holiday schedules, consider location schedules. There are certain things that happen. And as Danny says, you can go to the locations website and there's all kinds of community calendars. All right. So that's step one, choosing your city. And we didn't even dig into it at the level that often Manager Tools does. Yes. Because there's just so much here. Thanks, everybody. Come back next week. More on planning an offsite in part two. This podcast was produced by Manager Tools. Manager Tools creates actionable management guidance every single week. To receive additional materials via our newsletter and to find products for situations you may face as a manager or professional, go to www.manager-tools.com. Search for Manager Tools on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.